0: We've been looking at the Book of First Peter, and if this is your first time in church, um, at catalyst, and we are up to our third message. If you missed the other two, they are on the website. You can always go back. If you missed a week, you can always go and listen to them. So we've done an introduction. We've done the first half of First Peter chapter one, and we're now looking at the second half of First Peter chapter one. So I've got a question for you all: Why do you do something? What motivates you? To do something. What do you think? Because you have to? Because you're hungry? That's the right thing to do? Oh, there's an outcome, that's a good one. Passion. Because everybody's doing it. That's a good one. These are something I came up with because someone tells you. When I asked Catherine, my 10 year old, so that's what she said oh, because my parents tell me to. Those who are reasoning for doing something, because it's fun, because you need to. People will like you. We do. We do things because, oh, well, people will like me if I do this because you've committed to it. That's a big one for me. If I've committed to it, I'm going to do it just because I said I would. You want to. You're being paid. You're responsible for it. It's the right thing to do. Outcome. There's a whole lot of other reasons. But that's what I want to look at today because that's what Peter, what we see in First Peter is some things that God actually tells us to do. And most of the time, we actually don't like being told what to do. Um, so let's have a look and see what Peter has to say. And then hopefully we can work at the why behind it. And the why hopefully will motivate us in what we do. So this is 1 Peter chapter 1, and we're starting in verse 13. So prepare your minds for action and exercise self-control. Put all your hope in the gracious salvation that will come to you when Christ Jesus is revealed to the world. Now, for your sake, Melissa, I'm looking at the NLT. But if you looked at the NIV, you would find that it says this, Therefore, with minds that are alert and fully sober, set your hope on the grace to be brought to you when Jesus Christ is revealed at his coming. So when we see a so, or when we see a therefore, what does that mean? Yep, we have to read the bit before. Because you can't just say, so, and then just stop there. you have need to know, well, what is the so about? What's the therefore about? So for those who weren't here last week or can't remember what comes in the couple of verses beforehand, this is what it says a bit beforehand. This salvation was something that even the prophets wanted to know more about when they prophesied about this gracious salvation prepared for you. They wondered what time or situation the Spirit of Christ within them was talking about when he told them in advance about Christ's suffering and his great glory afterwards. They were told that their message was not for themselves but for you. And now this good news has been announced to you by those who preached in the power of the Holy Spirit sent from heaven. It is so wonderful that even the angels are eagerly watching these things happen. And that's actually one Peter one ten to twelve, not ten to twenty five, because that's the rest of the chapter, just for those who are taking notes. Um, so the reason that we all do what Peter's about to tell us is because of one simple thing. The salvation that we all know about. The salvation that is so amazing and so wonderful that even the prophets who were talking about stuff that hadn't even happened yet, they were wondering, what on earth is this on about? Even the angels are eagerly watching these things happen. That's how amazing the grace and the salvation that we've been given is. That even the angels go, wow, I want to see how this turns out. I want to see how this works itself out. I want to see how the suffering and the glory of God actually works together in the lives of these people. So that is their salvation, and that's why everything else that we talk about, Peter is telling us. So what is he saying? We'll start again in verse 13. So prepare your minds for action and exercise self-control put all your hope in the gracious salvation that will come to you when Jesus Christ is revealed to the world so you must live as God's obedient children don't slip back into your old ways of living to sacrifice, to satisfy your own desires you don't you didn't know any better then but now you must be holy in everything you do just as God who chose you is holy for the scriptures say You must be holy because I am holy. And remember that the heavenly Father to whom you pray has no favourites. He will judge or reward you according to what you do. So you must live in reverent fear of Him during your time here as temporary residents. For you know that God paid a ransom to save you from the empty life you inherited from your ancestors. And it was not paid with me gold or silver which loses their value. It was the precious blood of Christ, the sinless, spotless Lamb of God. God chose him as a ransom long before the world began. So now in these last days, he has been revealed for your sake. Through Christ, you have come to trust in God and you have placed your faith and hope in God because he raised Christ from the dead and gave him great glory. You were cleansed from your sins when you obeyed the truth. So now you must show succ- sincere love to each other so brother, as brothers and sisters. Love each other deeply with all your heart. For you have been born again, but not to a life that will quickly end. Your new life will last forever because it comes from the eternal living word of God. As the scriptures say, people are like grass. Their beauty is like a flower in the field. The grass withers and the flower fades. But the word of the Lord remains forever. And the word is the good news that was preached to you. Did anybody notice how many you musts there were in that? There was a whole lot of times when we were told that we must do something. Now who here likes to be told they must do something? Nobody, you know, my hand's not up either. Even my kids, who are pretty, like when you're a kid, you're pretty used to, used to being told what you must do. To mean, like your parents say, you have to go clean your bedroom. And if you don't, there's consequences. So in our household, our kids must have their bedroom cleaned by Friday after school or they cannot watch TV. And our kids only get to watch whatever they want on Friday afternoon. So it's a big scramble Friday morning, even though they've had all week to do it. Big scramble Friday morning to get it clean, and then they hope that I check their bedrooms and not mat, because we have different standards as to what is acceptable, and one of us has a higher standard than the other one. But if they don't do it, they don't get. They, there's consequences, and when they're at school, when you're at school, you get told all the time you have to be here, you have to be there. Daniel gets a detention now if he's not at class at the right time. He doesn't get to choose. When he wants to go to class and when he does it and when he doesn't do it. if He he can choose, but the consequences are he gets a detention. He has to stay in at lunchtime. And if anybody knows Daniel, he so doesn't like getting in trouble. So he's like so keen on doing the right thing, what he's been told to do. Now at work, we sometimes are in the same case. Sometimes when you're at work, the things that you have to do. As a parent, sometimes the things that you pretty much have to do. But you can choose sort of when you do them sometimes. But when there's a screaming baby, like you really, you either like put up with the screaming or you do what the baby wants you to do to stop them from screaming. But as adults, we really don't like the word have to. Or in this case, we really don't like the word must. So much so that a lot of us, if we get told you must, our prickles go up and we're like, don't tell me what to do. <laughs> like, And we don't do it, even if it might be fun, even if it might be a good thing to do, just because we've been told we must, we're like, no way. You find that he cheats sometimes, even sometimes. I remember being in a conference once and they're like, everybody, give God a clap. And I'm like, I don't feel like giving God a clap. Why would I do that just because you tell me to? We don't particularly like the word must, but Peter uses this word a lot of times in this passage that we just read. So let's have a look at what we must do. 1 Peter 1, 13. This isn't really a must, but it's, it sets up the musts, if that makes sense. So prepare your minds for action and exercise self-control. Put all your hope in the gracious salvation that will come to you when Christ Jesus is revealed to the world. So already, Peter's telling us, that we have to prepare our mind for action and to exercise self-control. So they're the first two things that we have to do before the other musts can really outwork themselves. So here's the first must. So you must live as God's obedient children. Don't slip back into your old ways of living to satisfy your own desires. You didn't know any better then. So the first must that Peter tells us we must do is live as God's obedient children. Well, that pretty much means if God says it, you do it. Wouldn't it be wonderful if we all had kids that, like, that was like what they did all the time? You just tell them what to do and they just automatically do it. Now, I have pretty great kids, and the majority of the time they actually are really obedient, but not all the time. But what we must do, do Peter tells us, is live as God's obedient children. So that's the first must. The second must comes from 1 Peter 1.15 that says, but now you must be holy in everything you do, just as God who chose you is holy. So what does holy mean? Anybody want to give me an idea? Yes, set apart, that's a really good term. So you must be set apart in everything that you do. You actually must be pure. You must be holy. But not just you must be holy, just as God who chose you is holy. And the next verse that isn't up there is it says, Be holy as I am holy. So if you think of how holy God is, how does that work? (laughs) But that's what Peter says. We'll get back to that, don't worry. The other must... Is you must live in reverent fear of Him. So one Peter 1.17 tells us, and remember that the heavenly Father to whom you pray has no favorites. He will judge or reward you according to what you do. So you must live in reverent fear of Him during your time here as temporary residents. Now, the word fear is not oh no I'm afraid I want to go and hide and want nothing to do with this. This fear is. God, you are so awesome, you are so holy, how can I take you for granted and just be so casual in your presence? That's the kind of fear that Peter is talking about, a reverent fear, a fear that says, because of who you are, I hold you in that higher place. So we have to live in reverent fear. And 1 Peter 1.22 says, You were cleansed from your sins when you obeyed the truth. So now you must sow sincere love to each other as brothers and sisters. Love each other deeply with all your heart. So here are all the musts. You must live as God's obedient children. Now you must be holy in everything that you do. You must live in reverent fear of him and you must sow sincere love to each other. Amen. Let's go home and do that. When you look at it like that, I don't know about you, but I put my hands up and go, not going to happen, not even going to try. It's too hard. To live as obedient children, sometimes I can be obedient, but to live all the time, I don't know. And in the next one, you must be holy in everything that you do. Can I turn off my brain and not think? So you must live in reverent fear of him. There's a song that I really like um, by a group called Point of Grace. And it says, the chorus says this, God forbid that I find you so familiar that I think of you as less than who you are. God forbid that I should think of you at all without a reverent, um, without a reverent, anyhow reverent, anyhow, sorry, <laughs> without a reverent, Something in my heart, I can't remember what the word is, God forbid. I don't know about you, but I sometimes forget how holy God is. I sometimes remember how loving he is and how gracious he is. And because I am so going, oh God, I'm so glad that you're gracious, sometimes I take that for granted. And sometimes I go, you know what, yes, I hear that small voice in my head saying, Tanya, this is not what God wants you to do, but I know I'll be forgiven. Reverent to live in reverent fear means we actually say, hang on. God is such a holy God. I want to live as his obedient child, and I am gonna do all that I can to do that. I'm not gonna make it I'm not gonna be flippant about it, and I'm not gonna take his grace for granted. There's a book called Cheap Grace um, that pretty much talks about how we can as Christians think so much about the grace of God that we don't realise how much it cost. The grace that we have been given, the salvation that we have been given, cost Jesus his life. Not just his life, but his position. He was in heaven. He chose to give up his heavenly place to come down to earth. He went through excruciating pain. But his biggest pain was the fact that at some point he was actually separated from God himself because our sin and God can't mix. It actually costs the grace that we're given. And if we don't hold God in reverent fear, then we can sometimes go, cool, I'm forgiven. Instead of, boy, I am forgiven, but I so don't want to take that for granted and so I want to live a holy life and an obedient life. The last one, so you must sow sincere love to each other. I love how the wording doesn't just say you must sow love to each other. Because if it does, we're like, oh, yeah, cool, we can do that. But sincere love actually puts a level to it. It can't just be, oh, cool, Stella, I love you, yep, you know that, I'll just move on. It actually has to be real. There has to be sincerity in it. And we all are pretty good at knowing when someone is sincere and when they're not. You know, like, you know, when someone comes up to you and says, how are you going? You know, if it's just uh, that's the first sentence because they really want to tell you something. And so you just say good and then you just wait to hear why they're asking you how you are so they can tell you about. Like, you've all you have had that situation happen to you, haven't you? But then, you know, when someone comes and says, hey, how are you going? You know when they actually go, oh, this person really wants to know how I'm going. And then you choose what you give because of how sincere you know that question is. So it's not just loving people, it's actually sincerely loving them. So how do we do this? This is what First Peter, the second half of First Peter tells us to do. It must be possible. It must be possible. Because God doesn't set us up for failure. He doesn't set a bar and say, this is what I want you to do, and then laughs at us and go, ha, 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 you didn't do it. Bad luck. Now you can all feel bad. And what it comes down to is why do you do it? Why do you do it? Some verses that we didn't look at in those, are some verses that come in between the um, now you must, are these verses here. For you know, so this is something that we should know, that God paid a ransom to save you from the empty life you inherited from your ancestors. And it was not paid with me gold or silver, which loses their value. It was the precious blood of Christ, the sinless, spotless Lamb of God. God paid. Chose him as a ransom long before the world began. And now, in these last days, it has been revealed for your sake through Christ that you have come to trust in God and you have placed your faith and hope in God because he raised Christ from the dead and gave him greater glory. You were cleansed from your sin when you obeyed the truth. So now you must show sincere love to each other as brothers and sisters. Love each other deeply with all your heart. Do we know the price that has been paid for us? Peter is assuming we do. Peter is assuming that the people who are reading this have made a decision that says, boy, Jesus has actually rescued me. That Jesus' blood actually has covered my sins and I have a relationship with God. And it's out of the knowledge and the understanding of who God is and what He has done that we want to obey Him, that we want to live a holy life, that we want to be in that we are in reverent fear of Him, that we love other people. When Jesus died and came back to life, He spent some time with His disciples, and then what did He tell His disciples to do? Right at the very end, He said, "Wait." And what were we to wait for? The Holy Spirit. Because it's only through the Holy Spirit that any of these things become the life that we live and not the works that we do. Because it could be really easy to look at all those now, now you must, and think, now I've just got to try harder. Now I've just got to work. Now I've got a whole list of things and now Tan's just added some other things that I've got to work on. Great. That is not what Peter is saying. He's saying it has all been done and because it has all been done, this is what you do. It's out of what has been done that you live a holy life. Now we do know that we're never going to be holy until we get to heaven. That is really clear. If there was a way that you could be holy here and now on earth, Jesus would never have to come to earth. Jesus' blood actually makes you holy in the sight of God here and now. And so this is not about doing works. This is about living out the salvation that we've been given. It's about recognising the power that is in the name of Jesus as we've been singing about and walking in that power. And know that that power is not just for the person out there. It's actually for me and the life that God has called me to live now. It's about saying I actually have made a decision. Whenever that decision was, my decision was, I don't know. Sometimes I say the decision I made was when I was eight. And sometimes I say it's when I was 13. Because when I was eight, I went, oh, this isn't. Like God actually loves me. He doesn't just love everybody else. And I've got to do something about that. And so that's when I decided that I would follow Jesus. But nothing much changed until I got into high school. Because I realized when I went to high school that everybody I hanged out with didn't know me. And so I could be whoever I wanted to be. So who was I going to be? And that's when I decided I was going to be a disciple of Jesus. I was going to actually try and live a life that followed him. Well, when I was eight, nothing particularly changed because I was eight and I was still going to church and I was still doing things. that my Like I was more my parents. I just followed what my parents did. But when I went into high school, I could just be whoever I wanted to be. But whenever you made that decision, if it was yesterday, if it was an hour ago, if it was 20 years ago, if it was 40 years ago, whatever time it was when you said, I want to actually be a disciple of Jesus, That's when you've got to know the power that's in the blood of Jesus. And it's from that point that we go, you know what? I want to live a life that's pleasing to God. I've decided that's what I'm going to do. And if I've decided that that's what I'm going to do, Peter tells us, now that you know this, you've got to set your mind for action and to exercise self-control. Who likes exercising self-control? I'm not very good at it. But we get told we have to. So, you must live as God's obedient children. So, now be holy in everything that you do. This does not mean we will be holy in everything that we do. But if that is not our aim, then we need to change our aim. Because our aim should be to live as God's children. And it's because of the Holy Spirit that we can do this. It's because of who you are in Christ that Peter tells us to do these things. It's because of the Holy Spirit that's living inside of us that that is actually causes us to be obedient, to live in reverent fear. And that that is the direction that we're going in. And that's really what it's about. Where is our direction and what are we aiming for? Because if we're aiming just to get by, if we're aiming just to do whatever's comfortable, we're actually not following Jesus. If our aim is to follow Jesus, then living a life that is pleasing to him, living a life in obedience to him, That's what we do because his salvation was worth it. How much we are loved by God is worth it. So really, it's got nothing to do with us. It's got all to do with who God is. It's all got to do with a decision that we have made that has allowed us to live and walk in the freedom that God gives us. But because of who he is, And because of what He has done, we want to live in a life that is pleasing to Him. So it's not really that you must, it's really how can you not want to? How can you not want to live as God's obedient children? When you remember who God is, how can you not be in reverence fear of Him? When you know all that was paid, and the sin that God has taken away from you, how can you not do all that you can to live a life of holiness? And how can you not sincerely love other people when you get how much you've been loved? And so all Peter is saying is do what you know God's done for you. And so we can look at the second half of First Peter and see it as you must and get all annoyed at it. Or we can make sure that we read the rest of it that says your sins have been completely forgiven. The Bible tells us in the Gospels that those that have been forgiven much, forgive much. But I think it actually, do not know I'm not trying to change the Bible here, but really it is those who know they've been forgiven much because all of us have been forgiven much. It's not that, oh, I've been forgiven much more than Kel. It's that we've both actually been forgiven exactly the same because sin is just not doing what God says. So no matter what the consequences of that is, if you're not doing what God has asked you to do, you're sinning. So our sin is the same, but it's what we recognise and when we remember and when we know how much we are loved. It's so much easier to love people when we know how much God has done for us, it's so much easier to live the life that he's called us to.